So today we're going to do John 13. If you would turn to John 13 and read with me. the, You could probably do um, 50 lessons in a row on this one chapter. There's so much going on here. Today what, what I'm going to focus on is the idea of clean. Clean, when we read it, the word clean or cleanse is a version of the Greek word katharos, K-A-T-H-A-R-O-S. We get our English word catharsis from this. So uh, pay particular attention to that when we get to it. So John 13, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and guarded himself. Now I want to just stop and make a comment here, even though this isn't the primary focus of the lesson. The amazing paradox in verse 2. The devil having put into the heart of Judas to betray him. So he's about to be betrayed, crucified by the Roman government. Jesus knowing all things had been given into his hands. (laughs) He's just right on the verge of going to the Garden of Gethsemane and saying, Father, if you can pass this cup for me, please do. Knowing all things have been given into his hands. That's cool, isn't it? It's incredibly paradoxical. We have all things given into our hands, but we're asked to bear our cross daily, just like Jesus. So, verse 5, After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Now, you know, I think we tend to um, see all these episodes with this overly serious kind of Byzantine idea where people are floating off the ground and they've got a halo over their heads, you know. I think this is actually pretty funny here. Because Peter, who always thinks first and, I mean, sorry, speaks first and thinks later, says, hey, wait a minute, you're washing my feet? And Jesus says to Peter, you don't understand, so just, cool, you know, cool your jets, you'll understand later, because you don't understand this. Now, to Peter, would that, would that sink in, you don't understand? We have no evidence that Peter would ever take into account that he didn't understand anything, right? So Peter said to him, you'll never wash my feet. Now Jesus told him, you don't know what I'm doing, but you'll understand later. Peter's not going to comprehend that. He's thick, thick skulled, right? Peter said to him, you'll never wash my feet. So Jesus says, okay, if I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. This word part is the idea of portion or region. He came into the region of Caesarea Philippi type of thing. Uh, so you're not you're, you're not on my team. We're not we're not in league together unless I wash your feet. 
Simon Peter, not to be out of control of the conversation, says, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Okay? If, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it. We've got to have this my way, one way or the other here. Even though Jesus told him, you don't know what I'm, you're, you, don't, you don't understand. But Jesus said to him, verse 10, He who's bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. This is our word, katharos. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, and therefore he said, you're not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am I. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So, he says to the disciples, you're already clean. Except for Judas. You're already clean. Katharos. But, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. So what is going on here? What does Jesus mean by clean? Being clean. Why do we have to have our feet washed? This word clean, katharos, again our root word of catharsis, uh, is used by Aristotle to describe what happens to a person after they've seen a Greek tragedy. You're supposed to watch this tragedy or this comedy and see how, what life is really like and be purified as a result because you see, you see what's true. Um, let's look at the way that the scripture uses this, but first let's just look at a concept about cleaning. Look at Malachi chapter 3. Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3, verse 2. Malachi chapter 3, verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire. So we're very familiar with this picture, a refiner's fire. What does a ref- refire of a refiner do? Get, gets rid of impurities, right? How, by, by doing what? Melting out the good stuff. Yeah, but melting out the good stuff and burning away the bad stuff, right? And this is, this is the idea of judgment at, at Christ's appearing. But look at the next line. It's a parallel. He's like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. Why does a launderer need soap? Get rid of the dirt. Get out the grease. Okay, that, that you got dirt on your clothes. You got grease on your clothes. You need soap to get it out. This is the idea of cleansing and purifying. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. Why? He will purify the sons of Levi, the priests, that they may offer to the Lord an offering of righteousness. 
So this idea of cleansing and purifying, this soap analogy, this water and washing and washing analogy is an integral part of what God's been about for a really long time. Let's look at um, Ephesians five. See a New Testament version of this concept. Ephesians five verse twenty five. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse. This cleanse is a, a derivation of our katharos. Cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Now here's the, here's the fuller soap happening. We're cleansing. Why? That he might present her to himself a glorious church. So he's got this fuller soap, an offering of righteousness. And he's got this cleansing of water by the word so we can be to him something glorious. So this purification is something he's very much about for us as his people. Well, what's he cleansing us from? Well... One of the first uses of this katharos in the Gospels is in Matthew chapter 8. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me katharos, clean. Uncleanliness, the, the picture that God gave us for uncleanliness in the New Testament is leprosy. That when the Messiah was to come, it was predicted that one of the things he would do is clean the lepers. Well, what is leprosy? Leprosy is a disease that damages the nerve endings except for the brain and the spine. You still have your thinking and your mobility but you lose your, your feeling in your extremities. Uh, one of the things it does is it disfigures. Uh, your nose can fall off. Your face can become quite distorted. You can, you're, you're, because you don't feel well, you, can, you don't sense an injury, and so you can actually lose your digits, or they can be uh, debilitated. Uh, yes, uh-huh. uh, it's interesting that in Hebrew the word for leprosy is sarah, and a house could even get it. It was, it was almost a different type than what we know today as leprosy, they say. And the most interesting thing about it, it says in Leviticus that when the leprosy is covered the whole body, then he's clean, and he can come back into the camp. When it's covered the whole body. The whole body and there's not a single ounce of, of flesh left and it's all white. Then he's clean and he can come back out of the leper's camp and come into Is that the right? It's an interesting concept. Yeah, well, we know Miriam, uh, when she got this leprosy, her skin was white. And, it was in, and they, were, they were told to... Uh, they were told to... Uh, they had to depart from... The, they had to keep separate, stay separate, stay, uh, say I'm unclean. It, it divided people from the community. Leprosy was something that divided people from the community. It was uh, contagious because you, you, you've got to stay away from people. It was very gradual. Leprosy is a very gradual disease. And all these things are really good pictures of sin and unrighteousness. It, it separates us. 
it's gradual. You know, it, you, you just do a little at a time and it kind of eats away at you and it disfigures you and it, connect, and it disconnects you from kind of everyday life. But it doesn't really change your ability to be aware that it's going on. And Jesus is, says here, I'm, I'm, I'm willing, be cleansed. So this is one of the places where this word katharos comes up. And Jesus very much wants to cleanse us. But he said to the disciples, you're already clean, but you have to have your feet washed. So still, what's that about? Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. And so we got the picture of leprosy. But what is actually... uh, the thing that we have what's that what is that a picture of Matthew 23 and verse 25 Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for you cleanse this is our word katharos uh, I think it's actually um, some derivation of katharos you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish But inside they are dirty. And what are they full of? Extortion and self-indulgence. So now we're getting to the the specifics about what it is exactly that this leprosy is a picture of. What it is that the dirt on the feet is is a picture of. Because, in fact, we as people are full of extortion and self-indulgence by nature because we have this sinful nature. Uh, and when Jesus gives us a new nature, we have, we have, we're a new creation in Christ. But we still have this old nature. And it still has to be purged in practice. Well, what is extortion? Tell me what extortion is. Taking advantage of someone else? What else? Greed. What is it? Greed. Greed? Okay. Greed? What, what, how does greed usually manifest itself? Greed or envy? Taking. Yeah, you take something from somebody. You Normally, right? You take something from somebody. Now, we take things from people all the time. If you go to, if you go to Lowe's and buy a lawnmower, you took the lawnmower out of the store... Did you extort them? Why? What's that? Yeah, yeah, because they, they, they wanted you to take the lawnmower, right? There was an exchange that took place. So we're talking about an extraction that's not something that, that's not a voluntary uh, interaction of some kind, is what we're talking about with the extortion. We can see this same word, uh, extortion here, as harpage. We can see this same word in Hebrews 10.34. Let's just go over and take a look at it real quick. Hebrews 10.34. Harpage. Hebrews 10.34, For you had compassion on me, the writer of Hebrews is saying, in my chains, because he's writing, uh, or he was at some point imprisoned, and the people that got this Hebrews letter were compassionate on him. 
And, he says, the people that are receiving this letter, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. What, what's the, what, what comes to mind plundering of goods? War. What? War. War, okay. Piracy. Uh, uh, looting. Something like that. You got your goods plundered. Well, this word plunder is this same word extortion. Harpage. Okay, so you're 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 taking from someone. Now, does extortion have to just be uh, goods? Is it limited to goods? What else could be extorted from someone? Information. You could extort information out of them. Okay, good. What else? Their self worth or their dignity. You could extort their dignity from them. Yeah, you could just crush them as as a, as a person. Yeah, good. What else? What else could you extort from someone? What? You could extort loyalty from them, make basically enslave their, them to you, and and uh, and basically take away their choices, make them do your bidding, and that could that could have all sorts of uh, manifestations. It could be as a as a, you could do that in, in employment. You could do that uh, uh, in in forced slavery. The, the sex traffic all around the world that's going on, that, that's the way they do this, extorting from people. And it, it robs uh, their dignity from them as well. You can extort it emotionally and manipulate other people. This, this happens in, uh, in relationships all the time, doesn't it? And what's the root of extortion? What, what's the root of it? Why do I do all these things? Either for goods or emotions or to get someone else... Uh, what is it? It's all, about it's all about me. It's me in control and getting what I want uh, by th- through other people is the idea. And look at the next thing that he says going back to uh, Matt, this Matthew uh, passage. Uh, Matthew twenty three twenty five. He says, You cleanse the outside of the cup, but inside they're full of extortion. And what's the next one? Self-indulgence. Now, when you see the word self-indulgence, what, what, what comes to mind? Self-indulgence. Self-absorbed. Self-seeking. Gluttonous. Um, addi- addiction. Drunkard. Um, Some, someone who's uh, has a overly lavish lifestyle because they're addicted to either purchases or um, fame, you know, having having some sort of appearance of some kind. It's again this 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 self-absorbed way of getting fulfillment through through other people, either because I'm uh, or or having my appetites fulfilled. I just saw on TV a, a guy that. Extorting money from people yes. on these Ponzi scheme type deals, and one of the workers is a very interesting statement. <clears throat> said that he was so lazy that he had a house in Vermont, and he would call the office in Florida to have them uh, FedEx razor blades to his house. <laughs> wow. Okay, I don't know if that's laziness. Well, yeah, that's probably just making a point that I'm of important, self-importance. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so this is, this is the Pharisees, and, and bear in mind the Pharisees were very religious people. They had all kinds of religious trappings. But inside, he says, and outside you look great. But inside you're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Well, what's the, what's the uh, remedy for that? Blind Pharisee, verse 26, first cleanse the inside of the cup, katharos, that the outside might be clean also. So cleansing is something that we require on an ongoing basis because this nature of ours is, by its very core characteristic, self-indulgent and extortionary. (laughs) That's what we do as people. Um, Herman, you kind of make a living off of pointing this out to people and helping them remedy it, don't you? I mean, can't you just boil it down, use the two circles thing, whether you make things life about me or others sort of thing? One of my favorite verses is James 3.16, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Confusion and every evil thing are there. That's just an amazing verse. That doesn't sound happy. <laughs> it sounds awful. So this purification thing is a pretty big deal. Um, so what's the answer? And what and, and, and what is going on here? By the way, if you were a disciple and Jesus came around washing your feet, how would you have reacted? What do you think? What do you th- what do you think? In a hierarchy, you would wash your boss's feet. Or yeah, you you would wash your boss's feet. What if Jesus had asked you to wash everyone else's feet? How would you have fa- put yourself in the in the mindset of the disciples? What are they always talking about? Who's the greatest? That's the number one thing they're talking about, right? So if Jesus would have asked uh, one of them to wash the other's feet, what what would what would he have taken from that? I'm the least. I lost. Right? I, I lost. That's what you get from that, I think. And, and so Peter, when he comes to Peter and he says, I'm going to wash your feet, what's Peter thinking here? You're the boss, right? Do bosses wash people's feet? And Peter intends to be the boss, right? And so, you know, this is, this is not... He's, this is the same guy that took Jesus aside so he wouldn't embarrass him and said, Lord, this is not going to happen to you. You've got, got to stop saying things like this. Because he, he knew how it was going to be, man. He, he had it all figured out. He knew what it was going to be like. How about you? Would you let Jesus wash your feet? Well, let's look at Hebrews 9. And we can see some practical application of this cleansing. This, how this works in our life. We don't have the opportunity to sit around a table and decide whether we're going to let Jesus wash our feet. But spiritually, this very much applies. And we're going to see it here in Hebrews chapter 9. Let's start in verse 13. For if the blood of the bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. So here we got this whole katharos idea. So you're unclean and then you can be purified. And how do you be purified? 
the sprinkling of the blood of bulls and goats. And the picture, if you look at the if you look at the context here, you've got this picture of the mercy seat and the high priest coming in once a year, sprinkling blood on the mercy seat for sins committed in ignorance, is the idea. And so he says, and this is whole book's written to Jews, so they're all familiar with this. So if the blood of bulls and goats and sprinkling and ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, and this is including the other offerings and stuff as well. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Okay, So Jesus talked to the Pharisees about their bowl being corrupt on the inside with extortion and self-indulgence. He talked to the disciples and he said, if you're going to have a part with me, even though you're clean, you can't have a part with me unless you have your feet washed on an ongoing basis. And we have here the Spirit on an ongoing basis needs to cleanse our conscience So we need ongoing conscience cleansing. Now, what is going on here? What is the conscience? Let's look at a couple of verses that tells us what the Bible's talking about when it talks about conscience. Look at Acts 24. Acts 24, verse 16. Paul says, This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and men. Let's look at Romans 2.15. Romans 2.15. He's talking about here about Gentiles who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness between themselves, their thoughts accusing them or else excusing them. Okay? So this is this internal judging that takes place, that we always have, that's telling us whether something's right or wrong. Sometimes that judgment is well-informed. Sometimes it's ill-informed. What does does Paul call an ill-informed conscience that says you can't eat meat sacrificed to idols? You remember that? Weak, a weak conscience. An ill-informed conscience is a weak conscience. But we always have a conscience, and it's always judging. And Paul says, I pay attention to my conscience, and as far as I know, between me and men, and me and God, I don't know of anything. I don't know of anything I've done wrong. He also says, in, in one of his letters to the Corinthians, he says, just because I don't know anything doesn't mean I don't still have an answer to God because my judgment's not the final judgment. It's God's judgment that matters. But as far as I know, I don't know anything. So what we're talking about here is this conscience where we're judging as between us and others. Now, the Pharisees had a conscience... And they were judging. And how did they judge? How do we know they judged? Because we see them talk about it. What did they do? What did they do as between us, me, and other people? Or me and God? They looked at your actions. They looked at your actions. They also looked at their own actions. How did they pray? I'm so glad I'm not like uh, Jimmy. You know, I'm, I don't I don't do this, I don't do that. So what's he doing there? He's comparing himself, which is, is that appropriate or inappropriate for me to compare? 
It's, it's inappropriate in one sense because I'm comparing unjustly, but that's what the conscience does is compare. Yeah, so I'm comparing unrighteously, and this is this control and self-indulgence and extortion kind of attitude. So what, what the Pharisees did with their conscience is they rationalized. They justified themselves. Uh, there's a really uh, interesting book called The Right Brain Way. It's a marketing research book. And they've studied uh, brands, why people buy, you know, pay $5 for a 50-cent cup of coffee type of thing. And um, what they've discovered is people buy based on uh, emotions and then they use the logic side of their brain to rationalize their purchase. This is kind of how people act just in general, to rationalize. Well, so we've got dead works to the extent we're doing things that are extortionary of other people or self-indulgent. What we're going to do is rationalize that. We're going to have a good reason why. That's okay for us because. I'm I'm not actually... You know, if I don't control that person which I'm actually doing for my own ends, but if I don't control that person, they're going to hurt themselves. I I have to control my child. What I'm really doing is controlling them so I'll look good, but what I'm going to rationalize is I'm doing it in their best interest, or my spouse, or my co-worker, or my neighbor. And this is just kind of the way we are. But what, what what Hebrews is saying here, going back to Hebrews... Hebrews chapter 9 and where were we verse 13 Hebrews 9 verse 13 what we're talking about here is the blood of Christ cleansing our conscience from dead works now if you are going back to this sacrificial system and and the the mercy seat on an annual basis or sin offerings uh, that you're doing. Th- this was for a covenant people. They're already into the nation of Israel. There's no question of whether they ha- are the heir to the promises. What we're talking about is ongoing fellowship with God and uh, getting the blessings of being that, being in that covenant relationship is what we're talking about if you're a Jew. And it's the same thing for a Christian. And Jesus told the disciples, you're already clean, but you have to have your feet washed. Well, it's the same thing here. Clean. What we need clean is our conscience. And what our conscience tends to do is rationalize self-indulgent and extortionary uh, behavior. That's what we tend to do. And the answer to that is in the blood of Jesus. That's the answer to that. Another thing of my guilty conscience is that my conscience will do rather than rationalize because I know what I'm doing wrong and maybe I might rationalize it to look good in front of somebody else but inwardly I can't there's no way I could rationalize it because I know it's wrong so this cleansing from an evil conscience for me is I, I won't approach God if I know I'm guilty you'll hide I'll hide and so but then whenever I truly give everything to the Lord and say I'm following you I'm putting away my sin and he sprinkles my conscience and I'm clean I, I approach him all day long throughout the day, and I'm just, I have a, a better color. So for you, dead works looks like uh, I'm just doing this without God today. Yeah, if I'm, it's almost like, oh, I've already sinned, so I'll just sin again, type of thing, um, you know. Or, I've already, bu- I've already know, busted I, I, it, so just keep going. Thought, but it's my sin nature that does that. Okay. Thing. 
Alright? Uh, so so the 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 kind of the answer as we sum it up goes I think in ten Hebrews ten twenty two. Having a high priest over the house of God, which is Jesus. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Here's the cleansing again. And hold fast the confession of our hope. Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So, if you start and go, let's go back to 19 here. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, what Matt was just talking about, go into the presence of God by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith to have our conscience cleansed. Okay, so now let's bring all this together. So when can we go into this holy of holies? When can we go? Well, if we have to be clean first, then going in to get clean wouldn't make a lot of sense. Anytime. We can go anytime, right? And when does Jesus want us to go? All the time, right? And who's and what is his function there? What's he doing? Jesus. He's yeah, he's cleaning us. What his what is his job title in this particular place? Look at verse twenty one. He's high priest. What does a high priest do? He atones for you. Okay? He's serving you. He's serving you. Okay? So what does that mean that Jesus is doing to us on a daily, ongoing basis? He's standing there with the towel on his belt wanting to wash our feet. Because He wants our feet to be clean. He wants our consciences to be cleansed. You see this? He wants to wash our feet. And if we don't let Him, what are we doing? We're putting ourselves into the world where we can't benefit from all the benefits that He has for us. And we're going to have dead works. And if we let Him, what happens? The abundant life. You can sear your conscience too, can't you? Yes, you can. And searing your conscience means, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Or my head and head also. That would be another way of saying uh, quenching the Spirit, possibly. Yes, certainly we can quench the Spirit. So, we weren't there at that Last Supper to decide what Jesus would do, you know, when He came around to wash our feet. But we're there. And on a daily basis, we have to decide, are we going to let Jesus wash our feet or not? Now, this whole thing about glorifying God, totally biblical. I read it in Ephesians 5, that God wants us to present Him back to Himself, a bride that's glorious. But I tell you, a lot of times when I hear people talk about glorifying God, I think it's in the sense of, you won't wash my feet. I'm going to do this for you. I don't need anything from God. I'm, any kind of rewards, incentive, inducement, of it, I don't need that. Not me. Nope. No, I don't need... I can do that myself. 
If I get any reward, I'm just going to throw it on the ground. Okay, because I, I I don't need anything from I don't I don't need anything like that. And the the essence of this spirit of receiving the gift from Jesus of having our feet washed is I need to first receive. Then I can give. Because what did Jesus want them to do after they received the washing of the feet? Go wash other people's feet. and Wash one another's feet. So first we receive. Then we give. Will you receive the washing of your feet on a daily basis? Will you let Jesus serve you? Will you listen? Even though today we probably don't understand all that well. You know, we've all been parents. How do you wash your children's feet? How do you wash your children's feet? You feed them. You feed them. You set boundaries. You enforce the boundaries. Why do you enforce boundaries? You help them grow. Yeah, if they don't have boundaries, they, they don't know how to grow, right? And you're serving them when you do that. Sometimes you do something that makes them run out of the room and slam their door and say, I hate you. Do you change your behavior to prevent that from happening? No. Why? Because them growing up is more important than you getting the... uh, Growing up to be godly, you know, men and women is more important than your immediate feedback. Because you have their interest at heart. And do they understand now why you're giving them these boundaries? And why you're giving them... They don't understand, but they will later. And Jesus said to Peter, you don't really understand this now. Just trust me and do what I ask you to do. Well, receiving uh, Jesus' forgiveness, receiving the, uh, uh, the, ad- the part that makes us admit our problems is not easy, is it, Matt? <laughs> I'll it's, admit it before God, but um, to admit it before others is a very difficult, very difficult thing. Why? Because I want to look good. Because you want to look good, and you want to make yourself you want to make yourself look. It's hard to do that. But what's the benefit? A clean conscience, and you can live the abundant life. Okay, and it and 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 washing others people's feet, especially when it involves forgiveness, it's just hard to see how anything good could ever come of that. It's just hard to see how anything good can come of that. And what Jesus is saying is, just trust me. You may not understand now, but you'll understand later. We're all children. God's setting boundaries for all of us. He's giving all of us experiences, no matter how old we are. He's giving all of us experiences because He wants us to continue to grow. And the question is, are we going to let Him wash our feet? And then once we do, are we going to go and wash the feet of others? Will we be clean? We're already clean because we're new creations in Christ. Will we, let, will we accept the cleanliness of walking in His way? He wants us to be righteous. He wants to present us as a glorious church. God, thank you for this, uh, uh, this ministry that you have of high priest and that you're standing here with your towel on your belt wanting to wash our feet. I know from my standpoint... I'm like Peter, and I would say I don't need my feet washed because I don't want want to admit that I have need. But 
God, I have amazing need, incredible need, because without my feet being washed, I'm not going to do anything but dead works. And all that's going to lead to is pain and misery for myself and others and loss on my part. Leprosy. And I pray that you would just help me on a daily basis, accept my need, embrace my need, and thankfully and gladly accept my feet being washed. That my conscience might be clear and true. And in doing so, that you would empower me to wash the feet of others. Especially when I'm criticized. Especially when I receive retribution. It is really hard to do. And it's often impossible to see how that could ever come out to be good. But just like he told Peter, it's not for me to understand now. I pray that you'd just give me the courage to, uh, to uh, trust. You know best. Jesus name. Amen.